I know that here in Connect, um, I have some friends who work for a uh, small local company. It's called Caterpillar, uh, Shop Local. They are, they're, they're nearby, okay? And some of you work there in different places around that great organization. Uh, some of you actually work in the, the guts of the organization. You help build and design and test the engines of those mighty machines. And your job is very important because you've got to make sure those engines are running right and that they're going to put up with all the different kind of abuse that those engines going to take as they build roads and dig holes or whatever else it is they do. And uh, those engines, you spend hours and days and weeks of your life just focusing on making those engines the best that they can possibly be. And then I've got some other friends who, who will tell me, Dave, the reason I drive this car or the reason I ride this motorbike or this minivan is because this company, I'll always buy from this particular car manufacturer because they're just known for making great engines. These cars, they just keep going and going and going. Their engines are fantastic. We work hard, don't we? And we, we take a lot of time looking at the engine because that's what controls the whole machine. That's what controls the whole vehicle. So it's very important. But what if I was to tell you this morning that actually the greatest engine ever, the greatest engine in all of history, every single one of you here this morning, you own one. You own one of the greatest engines ever. And you're going to be surprised to hear this actually only about the size of your fist. Because the little engine that I'm talking about is that heart that beats inside of your body. The greatest engine imaginable because that little heart beats over 100,000 times a day. So right now, you're sitting there unaware of it. It's beating 100,000 times a day. If you live to the age of 80, your heart will have pumped 50 million gallons of blood around your body. This is the greatest little engine that any of us could ever imagine. And too often, we don't think of it necessarily just as an organ in our body. We tend to think of it in more of a romantic sense, that the heart is the center of all that we love. Every year on Valentine's Day, hearts pop up everywhere because it's the center of what it means to love one another. It's the center of our being. Hearts and love feature in countless poems and works of literature. By my troth, I kiss thee with a most constant heart. That's Shakespeare. Then my heart with pleasure fills and dances with the daffodils. It's Wordsworth. Don't tell my heart, my achy, breaky heart. That's Ray Cyrus. All great poets, famous works of literature. It breaks my heart this morning that I just made a joke with a country music reference. It was, it was hard to do that, but I did it. We're going to learn this morning that Jesus actually had something to say about the heart. He talked about it in the introduction of his greatest sermon ever, probably the greatest sermon ever. We know it as the Sermon on the Mount. And at the very beginning, before he even really gets into the sermon, he starts out with these eight phrases that we've been looking at over the last few weeks. They're called the Beatitudes. And this morning, we're going to discover that one of the Beatitudes talks about our heart. So just to catch you up real quick, over the last few weeks, he's been, we've been talking about these Beatitudes. Jesus, he's talking about this kingdom, this brand new kingdom that he's come to bring, that people can be a part of. And this kingdom, Jesus explains, is open for anyone and everyone to be a part of. 
This idea, it turned the world completely upside down. It was an upside down concept to the people who heard Jesus teach at this time that this kingdom was available to all and anyone. And he explains how it is in these Beatitudes. The first four, they kind of form a roadmap. It's almost a call to action, if you will. They are as follows. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who are meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And over the last few weeks, we've learned what each of these things means in the stage of the, the journey in our lives as we move towards a relationship with Jesus. Those who are poor in spirit are the people who have come to a place of realizing that, that God is perfect, that we are imperfect, that there's this separation between us and God, and, and we are, in a sense, poor in spirit. There's nothing we can do to, to bridge that gap. It actually leads us to a place of mourning. Blessed are those who mourn, who are aware of this, this gap, aware of this shortfall. Our hearts are heavy, our hearts are broken because we're aware of the distance between us and God. Blessed are those who are meek. We come to a point of laying down our pride, saying, I can't do it on my own. I come to you, God, with meekness and humility, acknowledging there is nothing I can do in my own strength. I'll never be good enough to come alongside a perfect God with, like you. I'll never not do enough bad things to, to bridge that gap. And yet, God, deep inside of me is this hunger and thirst for righteousness. There's this desire to want to be right with you. And Jesus came to teach this as the solution. Not only to teach it as a principle, but to be the answer to the problem, to give his life for you and for me and for the people that day that were listening. So those four, first four Beatitudes kind of take us on this journey of, of understanding where we are in life, the separation between us and God, what it's going to take, this call to action to move through the poor in spirit, the mourning, the meekness, the hunger and thirsting for righteousness, to come to a place of finding God, finding Jesus in our lives. But then following these first four, as Whitney pointed out last week, they're kind of the roots the first four represent the root, but then comes the fruit. Last week, Winnie took us from the root to the fruit. She explained last week that someone who is a follower of Jesus understands what it looks like to be shown mercy. Last week, Winnie was teaching on the beatitude where Jesus said, blessed are the merciful. Because what she said is that they understand that we have received mercy. We've received grace. We've received forgiveness from God. And because of that, we should be the best equipped to also give grace and mercy and forgiveness to others because we've experienced it ourselves. So we are blessed if we make that choice to live lives of forgiveness and grace and mercy to others. And then the next part of the fruits, the next characteristic of what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus is somebody last week who is, who is forgiving, who is gracious. But this week, Jesus is saying, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the pure in heart. He's basically saying, those of you whose hearts are pure, you will get to see God. Now, you see, when biblical writers were speaking about the heart, 
They were talking about so much more than just, just love and emotions, the way we understand it. In Jesus' time, when they spoke of the heart, it represented every part of their being. Their minds, their will, their emotions, their love, every single, this, my, when I talk of my heart, it's who I am. It's everything on me. So Jesus was saying, blessed are you who are pure in heart, who, who are pure in every single area of your life. So when Jesus said that, his listeners would have been presented with this, this kind of question, who am I on the inside? My heart, my mind, my will, my intellect, my emotions. Who are you this morning on the inside? Because Jesus is saying, blessed are those who are pure on the inside, pure in the heart. What is my heart like? And what we're going to learn together this morning, that when Jesus said that, it was upside down. Upside down teaching in the context of that particular day and age. When people heard him say, blessed are the pure in heart, it would have blown their minds. And I'll explain why. I'll tell you a story. It dates back to a time when Casey, my wife, and I, uh, before being uh, in pastoral ministry and church ministry, we actually used to run a, a program called Ace Teams. Uh, it takes me a long way back. In fact, in the mid-90s, that's what brought me to America. It was a great program. It changed my life. Uh, and actually, I'm uh, very proud to be able to say this morning that the gentleman who used to run the program, who had a huge influence on my life, a man by the name of Ken Williamson, he sadly passed away a few years ago, but his wife and daughter are visiting right now, and they are here in the congregation this morning. It's so good to see Christine and Hannah. And I hope that you have a sense of pride and uh, gratitude this morning, knowing that his legacy lives on, that this, you know, he, he, he's, his impact on my life affects what we, who we are here at Connect Church. But uh, we loved running this program called Ace Teams, and it's, it really did help bring me to where I am today. And um, we would train up these young adults in ministry skills, and then they would get to travel and work with churches across America. But some of them got to travel overseas. Some of the teams got to go back to Ken and Christine's church in, in London. And uh, one young gentleman by the name of James, uh, he told me a story about his first trip to this church in London. He'd flown from Chicago through the night. He was exhausted. It was the morning now in England. He arrived at this home, this host home, and he was so tired. They greeted him. They showed him where his bedroom was. And he was sat there in the living room with this, this young couple. And uh, he realized, man, I've been traveling a lot. And it's been a while since I've been to the bathroom. So uh, he said to this couple, uh, could you point me to your bathroom? Could you tell me where your bathroom is? They're like, sure, it's upstairs, first door on the left. So up he goes, first door on the left, he opens the door, he walks in, and it was their bathroom because there was a bath and a shower. Nothing else. Because <laughs> in England... <laughs> That's the bathroom. So, so some houses, they have a bathroom with a bath and a shower, and then they have another room somewhere else that has the toilet. And if you want to use the toilet, you say, hey, can I use your toilet? And they'll point you to that room. <laughs> so I said to James, what do you do? He goes, well, I was too embarrassed to say anything. <laughs> so I stayed in there for a couple of minutes, and then I came back down, and I sat with them, but I just really needed to go. So finally I said, I'm going to go for a walk and kind of explore the neighborhood. He said, I found a gas station down the road, and I used their bathroom or toilet. <laughs> Never told the family. <laughs> Isn't it funny how just something like that can be so simple for us to understand here in America, but so different in another culture? When we read, blessed are the pure in heart, we read it in our context, in our understanding of what it means to be pure in heart, and we think, I know what that means, but 
what I've discovered as I've been studying for this message is when Jesus said that, there was so much more to what he said. In fact, there was so much more to what he didn't say when he said, blessed are the pure in heart. I'll explain. A few weeks ago, I mentioned that oftentimes when Jesus was teaching, he would um, allude to something that may have been written in the Old Testament or maybe in the Psalms. And in Jesus' time, the Psalms that we read today in the Old Testament, they were like the, the, the pop records of the time. Everyone knew these Psalms very well. They'd have heard them sung. They'd have heard them spoken. So, so sometimes all it needed was a word or a two or a phrase from a Psalm, and, and somebody would remember what that Psalm said. So when Jesus said, blessed are the pure in hearts, I would imagine that many people that day on that mountainside, in their minds, went to Psalm 24. Because listen to how Psalm 24 opens up. This is a psalm that King David wrote. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. It's a psalm of praise, like some of the songs we sang this morning. The world and all who live in it. He founded it on the seas. He established it on the waters. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who will see God? Who may stand in his holy place? And then verse four, David gives us the answer. The one who has clean hands and a pure heart. The one who has clean hands and a pure heart. So when Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart, and we read that, it kind of makes sense to us. The people in Jesus' time, what they heard was pure heart and not any mention of clean hands. So why is that important? We see the crowds would have been very familiar with what that entailed. You see, there were hundreds of laws and rules with regards to cleanliness, to what it meant to, to be clean on the outside. The Jewish leaders, the Pharisees, they worked very hard to make sure that they themselves were following them, and they worked very hard to, to call out anyone else who wasn't following them, who weren't following them, who were unclean as a result. And just like my friend in the UK, unless we understand what Jesus said in that culture, we'll miss this. We could read through this and miss the, the depth to what Jesus was saying. I discovered this as I was studying uh, for this particular message, and I read a, a chapter in a book called Jesus Through Middle Eastern Eyes. The author, Kenneth Bailey, talks about the Beatitudes one at a time, and, and on this particular Beatitude, he explains this. He explains that external purity, which are clean hands, is not enough. It must be accompanied by an internal purity, pure hearts. And as seen here in Psalm 24, both of these aspects of purity were in the tradition available to Jesus. So he's saying that at this time, the audience, they would have been very aware of when it came to cleanliness, there was a, a sense of clean hands and a pure heart. But Jesus only mentions one. And the author, Bailey, goes on to explain the developing rabbinic tradition, so the leaders of the, the Jewish people, the developing rabbinic tradition placed a clear emphasis on the first. The Mishnah, and this was a handbook kind of summarizing all the laws that the Jewish people should follow. The Mishnah included an entire division on the subject called the Tahoroth, or the cleanesses, the cleanesses, that continue for nearly 200 pages. So in this, this manual, this guide that they're to live by, there are 200 pages devoted to what it meant to be clean, clean hands. Clearly, this extended discussion on cleanliness was in development in the first century, during the time that Jesus was speaking these words on the mountainside. 
This book included written instructions on vessels, tents, immersion pools, hands, but get this, but not hearts. Jesus is saying, blessed are those with a pure heart to a group of people that are immersed in a culture that's so focused and works so hard, 200 plus pages, on what it looks like to be clean on the outside without a single mention of what it looks like to be clean on the inside. And that's what Jesus said. Blessed are those with pure hearts. In fact, there's a translation of the Bible we call the message, and I love the, the way it translates this particular verse because I think it, it illustrates it even more. In Matthew 5, 8, in the message translation, it says, you are blessed when you get your inside world, your mind and your heart put right. Then... You can see God in the outside world. Don't you love that wording? You know, blessed are you when you you work on the inside, the inside world, your heart, your mind, because then you can see God on the outside. As you read on throughout the New Testament, you realize this was like one of the central themes of Jesus' teaching. He was calling out the the religious leaders, the, the lawgivers, throughout his entire ministry over this central theme. Listen to what he said in Matthew 23, verses 25 through 28. He said, What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law, and you Pharisees, hypocrites? For you are so careful to clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are filthy, full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first wash the inside of the cup and the dish, and then the outside will become clean too. What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law, and you Pharisees, you hypocrites. You're like whitewashed tombs. You're beautiful on the outside, but you're filled on the inside with dead people's bones and all sorts of impurity. Outwardly, you look like righteous people, but inwardly, your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. So when Jesus spoke on that mountainside that day, He said, blessed are those with pure hearts. I want you to picture now the way the people heard this. You see, there would have been many in the crowds that day listening to Jesus who came from far and wide, who had already, because of their race, their social standing, their poor health, their occupation, any number of reasons, would not have felt pure, would not have felt clean. They were kind of the outcasts of society. Because unlike the Pharisees and the religious leaders, on the outside, they didn't look clean. They'd not done what was necessary to remain clean, follow all the rules and the regulations. But Jesus is saying that day, you are blessed when you get your inside world, your mind, your heart put right. They would have been so encouraged because they could have listened and thought, well, I could do that. There's so much externally here that disqualifies me from from going to the temple, from being a part of this, but but I have control of my heart. In fact, I have a desire to have a relationship with God and, and I can choose to change from the inside out. I can do that. Maybe you're here this morning and as you look around, you feel like you don't fit in. It just seems that the people around you, they've got everything put together. They've got great jobs, good families. They come to church regularly. They seem to know all the words to all the songs we sing. And you might kind of be faking it on the outside, but you're sitting here this morning thinking, I just don't know if I belong here. If you knew the mess that my life's in right now, if you knew the things going on, 
I kind of feel a little bit overwhelmed because there is so much I'm going to have to change about me if I ever want to feel like I fit in here. And Jesus is saying in this moment, it's not about cleaning up everything on the outside. It's about starting with your heart. Starting with your heart. If you'll give your heart to Jesus today, right where you are, he's just one prayer away. You can in this place say, Jesus, take my heart. He can change you from the inside out. You don't have to clean. That's what the the religious leaders, the Pharisees of the time were saying. They have to get everything right on the outside. But Jesus said, no, it all starts here. Let me into your heart and I'll help you change from the inside out. And I think the people on the mountainside that day, their hearts lifted in hope thinking, there is hope for me to be a part of this new kingdom. With Jesus' help, I can change from the inside out. I can have a pure heart. And I think for a moment, maybe like you and me, they started to think, I've got a pure heart. And then they remembered. They remembered what they did the night before. They remembered the attitudes they still have towards that one neighbor who just drives them crazy. They remembered what they said to, to that person that morning, how cruel they were and what they said, and they started to realize, oh, maybe my heart isn't so pure. Maybe I won't get to see God because I'm not blessed, because I don't have a pure heart. And if we're honest this morning, I think every one of us could arrive at that conclusion very quickly also. And I've got a lot of reasons this morning why my heart isn't pure. But here's the great news for all of us this morning. Jesus makes all of our hearts pure. We can try so hard, but we're always going to fall short. But thankfully, Jesus came to make our hearts pure. Paul, who who had a relationship with Jesus himself, years later was writing about his relationship with Jesus. And his words are fantastic because they're so real and relevant to us today. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, Paul said, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, that means if anyone has a relationship with Jesus, if they've given their heart to Jesus, that person is a new creation. That means you're a new creation. Even your heart is brand new. The old is gone. The new is here. Because of Jesus, our hearts are made pure. Because of Jesus, we can know what it means to be blessed and have a pure heart because Jesus has made our hearts pure. All of us this morning can experience that blessing, that joy to know that we can see God because we have pure hearts, not because of anything we've done, but because of what Jesus did for us. And we embrace him in our lives and we accept him into our hearts and we allow him to guide our lives. But we don't stop there. We don't stop there. We say, Jesus, thank you that you made my heart pure. Now help me, Jesus, in everything I do, in everything I say, in in my daily life, help me to keep my heart pure in all that I do. That's my responsibility. Jesus, you helped to make my heart pure. I'm a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come, but now it's my responsibility to live in such a way that will help my heart stay pure. King Solomon was one of the wisest people ever to have lived. Lived thousands of years before Jesus. 
He wrote many of the Proverbs that we read in the book of Proverbs. And listen to what he said in Proverbs 4.23. Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Guard your heart. Above everything else, guard your heart because it determines the course of your life. Do you know what you guard? You guard things that are precious. You guard things that are valuable. You guard things that are important. Every Monday night, I don't know how it works at your house, but I've got a wonderful teenage son who it's his job every Monday night to go into the garage and he rolls the trash can down and he sets it at the front of the curb because first thing Tuesday morning, the garbage truck, the garbage truck is coming. So that's his job. Do you know what? Once it's down to the curb, none of us care about it. No one's out there all night long guarding that can. No, because it's full of rubbish, as we say in England. Nothing in there worth guarding whatsoever. But I tell you what, if I've ordered something online from Apple, when that arrives on my doorstep, man, I'm out there straight away. I'm getting that in. <laughs> That's got some value. That's not staying on the doorstep any longer than it has to. There are things in our lives that are garbage. They don't need guarding, but there are things that are important, and we do want to protect them and keep them safe. Our heart is the most important thing in our lives. It's what we should work the hardest at guarding because if we understand the way that the, the, the biblical writers explain the heart, the heart is everything in us. When Solomon said, guard your heart, he was saying, guard your, your mind, your emotions, your will, your actions, your love, every part of who you are. Guard it because it's very, very important. So let me just give you two quick ways here that you can guard your heart. Two, two practical solutions here, two practical ideas that I can share with you this morning to help you, those of you who would say, I want to guard my heart. Not only do I want to accept this pure heart through a relationship with Jesus, I want to take responsibility and do what I need to do to guard my heart. The first is reflection. Reflection. Make a commitment to say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to create in my schedule a time of reflection on a regular basis. I would say whether you're a follower of Jesus this morning, even if you're not, it's a very healthy mental, emotional practice to pause, to spend time in reflection before your, your life gets busy, before your day gets busy. It's, it's very healthy sometimes to sit and just reflect. As followers of Jesus, many of us, when we pause to reflect, we'll, we'll pray, maybe we'll journal, listen to some worship music. But a lot of times, we'll read the Scripture, and the scripture, the Bible, becomes reflective. In fact, one of the, the Bible writers even referred to it as a mirror. Because when we read the words of the Bible and, and we read about what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus, it's almost like a mirror reflecting back at us. And sometimes we read and we see this clear reflection. We're like, that's who I am. We read a passage and we're like, yes, yes, that's who I am. But, but other times we read it and we realize, oh, this is a tough mirror to look in this morning because it's pointing out to me some of the blemishes some of the, the attitudes, some of the motives, some of the behaviors that, that are in my heart that need to go. If I'm honest, I knew they were there, but it took reflecting, it took reading to see it in me and to be reminded this is something that is unhealthy and needs to be removed. There needs to be a change. Reflection is a great way to guard our hearts, to maintain that pure heart. There are many other ways, but another real simple way, and if we start with these two, I think it'll help us. Another simple way is relationships. Reflection and relationships. In a few weeks' time here at Connect, we're going to start advertising our fall semester of small groups. 
Our small groups are a great opportunity for you to get kind of more involved here. Maybe you've been coming for a while and you enjoy sitting here on a Sunday, but one of the things you enjoy is you get to come in, you kind of sit in the darkness, you get to slip out again afterwards. And we keep talking about these small groups. You're like, I'm not sure I want to do one of those because then I've got to talk to people and I've got to kind of open up a bit and share stuff. And... But the reality is, if we're somebody who wants to guard our heart and learn what it means to safeguard one of the most important, valuable parts of our body, it's healthy and helpful to sit with others who feel the same way to have conversations, to talk with one another, to learn from one another. I've experienced from some relationships in my life some of the greatest conversations. Some of them weren't easy to hear. Some of them were people who saw something in me that was a blind spot to me, but they could see that if, if I didn't get a hold of this, if I didn't work on this, if I didn't change this, it could be detrimental to me in the future and had a very loving, caring conversation saying, Dave, I don't know if you see this, but for the sake of your wife, for the sake of your family, for the sake of your emotional, mental health. Have you thought about this? And it was good because it caused me to reflect. Those relationships helped me to reflect and make some changes in my life for the safety and the protection of my heart. Because even as followers of Jesus, we can be blind sometime to dark spots in our, in our hearts. And sometimes the only way we see them is when someone points them out. A little bit like this lady who wrote to Ask Amy. Maybe you've heard of Ask Amy. She's an advice columnist and uh, oftentimes appears in the Chicago Tribune. And years ago, uh, kind of a famous letter that somebody wrote to Amy went like this. Dear Amy, every fall, my sister, cousins, and a cousin's sister-in-law have a weekend shopping excursion in our home city. We stay in a hotel, we treat ourselves, we shop for our children, we go out for lunches and dinners. It's a great time to reconnect. I have a sister, Wendy, whom we do not invite. She is offended to the point of tears when she finds we have not invited her. My two sisters and I are very close in age, but Wendy hasn't been as close to this set of cousins as my sister and I have been through the years. We're all married, stay-at-home mums. Wendy is a divorced working mum with one young child. There are several reasons we do not include her. We know she doesn't have very much money for such an outing. She also does not have many of the same interests as we do. We're all very active churchgoers, while she only sporadically attends services. Plain and simple, she does not really fit in with us anymore. She takes it very personally, and last year even came over to my home unannounced crying about it, which upset my children and caused my husband to threaten to call the police if she did not leave. Now, she barely speaks to me and has told all of our relatives that I'm a horrible person, even though I've helped her in the past. How can we get her to understand that she should perhaps find another set of friends whose lives and interests align more closely with hers? Signed, Sad Sister. Amy replies, quite appropriately, dear sad. <laughs> First, let's establish that I agree with your sister. You are a horrible person. <laughs> this is in the Chicago Tribune. Obviously, you can do whatever you want and associate with or exclude whomever you want, but you don't get to do this and also blame the person you're excluding for not fitting in. The only way your sister would ever fit in would be for you to make room for her. You're unwilling to do that, and that's your choice. 
But her being upset is completely justified, and you'll just have to live with that. Perhaps this is something you could ponder from your church pew, because despite your regular attendance, you don't seem to have learned much. (laughs) Mic drop. I'm like, yeah, you go, Amy. (laughs) I hope that's not how something gets revealed (laughs) in your heart for everyone who reads the Chicago Tribune to read along with you. But sometimes, through relationships, through reflection, God will show something in our heart that might need to change. I often wonder if someone were to look at the Instagram reel of your life, what they would see. I bet it would be amazing. As they scroll through your feed and look at all those pictures, they would see that you're a happy, successful, charitable person. You know, they might see a whole set of wonderful actions and external behaviors. But Jesus didn't say, blessed are the pure external behaviors. He said, blessed are the pure in heart. So how is your heart this morning? Let's pray. Father, we all do very well at living in our Instagrammable world and putting on this this external persona and we work hard on making sure that everything on the outside looks good, Lord. But the reality is, Jesus, when you said blessed are the pure in heart, it was revolutionary. It turns the world upside down and it still turns the world upside down today because we tend to default too easily to the external, to what we look like on the outside. But Jesus, you made it clear that God cares more about what's on the inside than what's on the outside, that we get things right on the inside and then that flows out to the outside. So help us, Lord, this week even, to take a long and honest look at our hearts, to reflect, maybe to speak to some that we trust, that we're in relationship with, who would speak into our lives and help show maybe some things that we haven't seen in ourselves, to be open and honest and humble and willing to change. Because, Lord, Because of Jesus, we do have pure hearts, but it's our responsibility to guard those hearts, to work on those hearts, to keep those hearts pure. Help us do that, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.